0: Thanks for listening to Radio Never Apart. I'm your host, Jordan King. In this episode I speak with Jaylene Time. Jaylene is a Vancouver-based drag artist, makeup artist, performer, and incredible contributor to her community. Jaylene and I met and bonded on the set of the film Connie and Carla that we both appeared in back in 2003. Uh, this has really been well, one of my favorite interviews so far. Jaylene is really an incredible artist and incredible contributor to her community, and I'm really excited to share this. I'm so excited to be here speaking with Jaylene Time in Vancouver, BC, Uh Jaylene, thank you for being here. Thank you for being on the podcast with me.
1: Well, thank you. I think this is really wonderful when uh, we come together to share our stories, because I think that there's such power in life experience and um, to see that there's nobody being left behind and that we are really celebrating the people that came before us and the people that really keep the pulse of of our identities alive it's it's
0: powerful absolutely and we've known each other for such a very very long time oh my goodness like it feels like multiple lifetimes and we i think each know we each have our own unique histories and also know about histories of people that came before us as well i always really appreciated that as i was getting to know you so many years ago like you had come from a whole legacy of of performers and entertainers in in alberta and stuff like that so tell listeners who who you are and, and a little bit about your, your story
1: My name is Jaylene Time um, not the spice but the, the name um, T-Y-M-E and this is uh, after a, a real legendary performer Justine Time from Calgary and um, I I basically uh, started my, my journey of performance and, and self-discovery really in the arts in, in a club in Calgary which was the first place where I realized it was filled with unicorns and I never I never um, felt like I fit in more than I did at that moment. I was raised on a farm in Saskatchewan, so um, they didn't really have any um, cabaret shows there. <laughs> so something that, that was really new for me. And you know, as soon I wa- as soon as I was around um, people that were um, um, authentically themselves, it felt really, really great. And I really I gravitated towards the um, to the stage pretty quickly. Because I was um, welcomed by a very vibrant drag community in Calgary at the time. Mm
2: -hmm. And that
1: was actually next year, 2021. It'll be 30 years since I started drag performance.
0: Wait, what? Yeah. That is mind-boggling.
1: Yeah, I know. I I don't even look 30.
0: No, you don't. Truly. And we've known each other for, I want to say, going on like 20 years. So I had no idea that you'd been performing for even 10 years prior to that.
1: Yeah. A friend of mine um, kind of got me into performance right off the get-go. So it wasn't very long after that I was on that stage. And um, the rest is, as they say, hursery.
0: Hursery, true. Where, um, Do you remember what the venue was in Calgary that you first started performing at or where it was that you were mm-hmm. like? I
1: do. It was um, called a 318, and that was 318 17th Avenue um, in Calgary. And um, also at Voicetown, Town. So there's these two clubs that were um, in the downtown core. Yeah. And we would bounce around. I think at the time there was maybe four clubs. Like back in the day, there used to be a lot more um, of a queer presence um, in Calgary because that was the only place that you could go. There wasn't the internet. There wasn't on dating kind of thing. So yeah. in order to meet somebody, you had to go to these places. And also you weren't welcome in the straight bars, so they yeah. literally had to have, in fact, one of the bars was a private, well, I think both of them were actually private clubs that you couldn't get unless you had a membership. So, I mean, that was kind of like the very first um, time, and it was in the early 90s, so it was really, um, I don't know, to me, I find it very exciting, because the fashion from just coming out of the 80s into the 90s was pretty spectacular, and uh, like the um, the art community was really alive in Calgary at the time. Mm-hmm. I popped into, um, the drag persona, but that sort of like, that sort of crossed into many different places at first. I was like, it just, it it felt awkward to me, Mm. but I had been doing this on the farm in the bathroom in my mirror for years, scarves and makeup and just doing it really all in secret, which is a little heartbreaking to me when I think in retrospect is that there's this little, there's this little being that was, um, way too, way too fabulous for their own good. Just, you know, just really, um, Inspired um, by fashion and yeah. by transformation at such a young age, but yet was so stifled.
0: There was just no access to it. You might be able to sort of imagine it or dream of it, or maybe you'd see like a magazine on the newsstand at like the local drugstore. But there was no internet yeah. where you could discover the richness of what's out there, like the the way that people can now. And I mean, I think it's a positive thing for for kids now, who maybe are in that same situation themselves.
1: You see there's been a lot even as a child I was taken to psychiatrists and they used to try and shame me and this is like in the 70s. Wow.
0: So
1: they would yell at me and I remember it and like put a wig on me and ask me if I liked it. And then um um have these little cards with um like a man and a woman and and try to kind of figure out um where my head was at and I'm like in grade one and my parents were telling me, well, just tell me you went to the doctor, don't tell them, you know, the details. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God, this is like all, so it was like, um, attached to such deviance. And Mm -hmm. so here's this child that's just trying to like explore sort of what the world's about and where they fit in it it. and right off the get-go, um, you're told that you're, there's something wrong with you. So I have progress reports from my preschool that actually say that um, at the break, at play break, I would always want to dress up. And um, like with looks, apparently I was quite specific about wearing a dress over pants and my shoes had to be showing like really detailed to my look. That's and, kind
0: of magical. That, I was honestly, I was kind of the same way. I would We would p- do little plays at my daycare and I would be Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz always.
1: Yeah. And I remember they actually they put in this file saying that um, we put realistic expectations on this child and let them know that at juice time they can play mommy, but when they grow up, they will be daddy. So all of that is, like, so deep-rooted, and I think that it, it's a form of trauma. Well, I actually um, come from trauma. Like, I was adopted into... I'm um, indigenous, taken from the family because there was um, domestic violence, and then I was adopted into a white family, and... Um, at the age of three. Mm. So, um, and then put into um, the preschool and kind of all that there. So there's this little kid who didn't stand a chance from the get-go and they just didn't even know where they were coming or going. Yeah. And so to all that kind of carried through a lot of confusion and so, um, yeah, it's definitely part of my story and also taps into um, the complexity of my um, understanding of my life experience and how for some people it seems maybe, um, like, an older kind of spirit Mm -hmm.
2: that's
1: there. Mm -hmm. It's because I had to be really super aware from a young age. Yeah. So that's sort of why I believe that I was able to um, live the kind of life that I had because I had to pay attention and be really aware of everything around me, my surroundings, to protect myself. I couldn't just kind of go about life um, just, like, Without actually being aware that there was so many stunning on the corner,
0: doing drag in a place like Calgary in the nineties, Calgary is like an extremely conservative sort of Midwestern Canadian city where you really you could have been subjected to to violence I
1: was yeah, I was for sure. I mean I started off doing like the, the shows, but let's be real here. I looked like um, like uh, like a woman right away. Like I am very like my physically my features and everything is was very feminine from the start and so the, what popped on like a, I used to wear like a long curly fall and I was you know thin I looked like a um, like a young native girl walking around and I would actually push that I had no fear go out to like all the clubs uh, the country bars that the, they had um, heavy metal bars and all these different bars I'd go in there put myself in situations that were very dangerous. Mm-hmm. There's a couple times I almost lost my life there. I've had a gun help me a few times. I was almost um, left for 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 dead one time. So, I mean, there, there is that. That's part of the story. And I, I say that not to sensationalize anything, but just to um, let people know that The experience of self exploring in the in the early nineties for the trans, well, even any anybody's experience, but um, like you mentioned, it being quite dangerous at that time in a conservative city, very much so, and um, you know, I I went through some real challenge there.
0: I mean, that still is a reality to to this day. Back then, there was maybe less fear that people would be caught if they did something towards a trans person and now um I mean I I don't know I really can't I can't sort of comment on on now necessarily because I feel like with the statistics we see even year after year after year it's like I you want to imagine that things are getting better and certainly from a visibility standpoint there's a lot more media visibility but um but I think that the violence has has always been there uh knew that Calgary had been that that was a, a, not an easy city for your, for you to live in, but I didn't know the extent of those things that had happened necessarily. And that's like, I, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, but you, you've you really like, I mean, you've blossomed in the time that I've known you and I'm so inspired by by your path. I, I always have been.
1: Well, thank you. I think that, you know, um, I, I mentioned those um, challenges that I experienced there too, but on the other end of the spectrum, I also experienced, experienced the most profound, um, introduction towards extended family, Mm. which was in the drag community. And, um, that was a place that really for the first time, I really felt like I connected and I also was able to express like I never had been, been able to before Mm -hmm. on costume and through transformation and makeup and everything Mm -hmm. really came by there. And I was really welcomed into, into a real family unit that I'm still in contact today. And this is, uh, you know, many years ago. Yeah. And just, um, deep in such tradition of history of people that came before me and, um, introduced to the, uh, imperial court system, um, in Calgary as well. And now I'm, um, I, I sit on the international court council, um, wow. And on the executive of it. So I'm second in line of succession right now. Wow. The whole organization. So that, that it has been, um, You know, and I remember um, being like the empress in Vancouver and thinking that would be amazing. But I'm such a mess that I could never do that. Mm. I would never be able to do that. And, you know, it's one of those things um, you just I think that if you just keep in your mind that anything is possible, you know, things will fall into place.
2: Mm hmm.
0: So, and I, so I knew, when we first met in Vancouver, I knew that you had been involved in the, in the imperial court system, which is, which is sort of like a, a specific world within the drag context. Um, can you speak a little bit about the sort of history of it and how you were first introduced to it?
1: Yes, I can. I love it. I really love the fact that because this is a group of people that raises funds and awareness for, for our, our communities, Mm-hmm. Um, make sure that they remain strong and safe. And it was started in um, 1965 by uh, um, Absolute Empress One, Jose Seria in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And, and it, was, it was created in a sense that they started off with, with private balls, so people would come together. And um, it really was a time to where um, you could escape from the world and You know, at that time, it wasn't safe to do drag. So we we talk about, um, we call her Mama Jose in our organization because she was somebody that was um, the first um, out gay person to run for political office in San Francisco, like, before Harvey Milk was elected, just, like, somebody that was there and um, was was actually challenging the raids that were being done in the bars when they would arrest everybody. Yeah. And was like a fighter, a fighter for what was right. And so, something that we carry on to this day. And, you know, it, it's in its 55th year of its inception of over, um, 70 chapters in United States, Canada, Mexico. And every city elects representatives every year as ambassadors towards the LGBTQ2S plus community. And the titular head of it right now is Empress Nicole the Great, who is um, Queen mother of the Americas. And um, it's really interesting. I'm on that council, and um, we connect with people all over. But it is when I was introduced in Calgary, I remember seeing it that they were having these drag shows and they were dressed like royalty, and it was super glamorous, but yet they were helping people. And at that point in the early 90s, there was a lot of people losing their lives to the disease of HIV-AIDS, and there wasn't any real support. So um, the people in the community really relied on the funds and the, and the support that um, the drag queens and the, and the community were providing them. And that's what the court represents. It's about community, and it's about the fight for equality. It's about the fight to make sure that every person um, that falls into the spectrum of our rainbow Can um, find support and find um, family because let's face it, the reality: a lot of families would disown their children, and they had no one. So um, the court became the family. And I just like myself. It's like I went through such adversity as a young uh, um, queer person that, um, like, I was on the streets and I was in um, sex work and drug abuse and all that stuff. That you know, I could I could really not be here today, but I am. Yeah. And I look at as like the fact. Okay, well. You know, um, I uh, am a survivor, and I am also, I have witnessed the kindness of what what it means when a group of people come together with an intent to help another human being. Mm -hmm. And I feel right now just even talking about it, but the fact that I've been able to be part of that and um, also become an empress and then um, become a representative internationally of it is it's a big deal to me because I can remember feeling so vulnerable on the street and then fast forward to when I became um, one of um, Queen Mother of America's heirs and in San Diego and having Trumpet um, announce and present me representing Canada to a stage. Beautiful. And I was like, oh my God, I was standing behind. I was like, oh my God, I, I am an example of what it means to be um, a survivor, but to somebody that's standing in their truth. Yeah, so I mean, I look at the history of people that come before me that are are prime examples of of the power of authenticity and also of um, like people like Joni and Justine Time and Diana Rose and, you know, all these people that um, charity, Ted North, who brought the imperial court system to Canada. Mm -hmm. You know, that's sort of where, like, when I went to Vancouver, the court system um, was really very magical in our city. And, and, and as you know, it's like every year at ball time, there was like you know the coronation.
0: It was a huge yeah. deal, yeah. I remember being really wowed by it, and I and I haven't necessarily participated in it ever, but I was always really impressed by it. And you know, and, and a huge part of it, and even to this day, I can say I still really remember at the time, knowing that it was it was a formal, uh, like it was sort of a formal operation, and things were done properly it was well organized it wasn't sort of like a you know thrown together kind of a just fly by the seat of a whatever i mean it was like really steeped in history and and well together and well
1: established absolutely and i i really like that i always i even find even myself it's like i um was performing as a drag performer and i actually before i even knew that i just i i couldn't put a word to who i felt i was Oh, so i was a um uh trans identifying person at the time i just knew that I, I felt alive when i was um jaylene and eventually if it i i looked i, I talked about it like this i describe it like there was a knock on the door all the time mm-hmm. like knock 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 and eventually i opened the door because i used to open it for a little bit and then shut it yeah and then i opened the damn door and let her come in and I realized. Oh my God, that's actually the freedom that I feel when I'm performing. That's because that is my inner being. That's who I am. Yeah. And I've been like, she's been hidden away for so long and she's only come out for, uh, for a little bit. But if I just open the door and allow her to just kind of be, you know, that sort of um, the drag community, I'm indebted to the drag community because it helps me find who I am. And, and a
0: place in the world and stuff. That's so beautiful. That's a really beautiful analogy. I love that.
1: You know, we could be here for hours if I if I really got talked. As you know, when we when we're in a journey of self discovery, it is it's a constant like conversations with self. You're always exploring. You're always reviewing. You're always looking at. Um, um, you're, to me, it's like at first I had such um, transphobia and internalized homophobia. Mm. Like everything uh, such program did to me from from Saskatchewan, from being young and and this is all wrong. Yeah. that I had to really kind of walk through that first because I, I put shame around it all mm-hmm. because I thought as a child that, you know, I was taken to the doctor for that. So mm-hmm. it was like all of this something I had to kind of chip away at and allow myself to, to find the freedom. And it took me a longer time. And I'm so grateful that I'm able to witness this in my time yeah. where we're seeing children and parents that are guiding them from such young ages. Yes. I had time where i was at my work which is blanche mcdonald at curly q and uh, a mother brought in her trans daughter who was seven mm. years old at the time to come in and meet me she wanted to meet me and i took her for a tour of the college and we walked by my office and then she stopped and she looked in the office she said does this mean that i'm going to be able to work in an office like this when i up?" and I, I almost i i was like oh my god
0: That's exactly what I was thinking to myself was even for that young person to see that there is the possibility that one day they could be in a position, they could have a job, they could have a career, they could have an office of their own. I mean, we did not grow up imagining that, right? Let's be real. Like that was not something that that possibility was never shown to us.
1: Mm I had like a few moments like that where I'm able to see now and with the all ages drag show, I have people um, come to the show and Talk with me as parents reaching out for me regarding uh, the spectrum of pronouns and gender identity. Because now uh, children in school are identifying as non-binary, and I I love it. I think it's so so great that children are navigating on where they feel best. Yeah. And so to see that that is the reality, I I I still vision myself as a little child sitting on a bed feeling so confused, and I still go and I, I almost like. I go and spend time with that child by letting mm. them know that. You're, and, and in fact, I gave her this little girl, a, a book, Kevin O'Quan makeup book, which was me to become a makeup artist. And so I gave her this makeup book and in, in it, I wrote in the quote from the Dolly part and I'll always love you. The mm. talking part where she's like, I wish you joy, I wish you peace, yeah. but most of all, I wish you um, um, love. Yeah. And, um, and I put you are the perfect you. And I'm just thinking to myself, it's like, if we can just, leave that message with children to let them know that you know um um just just have mommy and daddy take you places show you a bunch of different things and then you just kind of figure out what what you really like and yeah. as long as you're kind to people and you do the best to be kind to yourself things are going to be okay for you
0: mm. it's such an incredible time i really couldn't have imagined we'd be where we are but it's it's really quite like astounding to to be part of it that's such a wonderful story can you talk about your drag career then and going from calgary to vancouver and i mean now you're hosting your own events again in the midst of a really difficult time and stuff how did that whole kind of evolution happen even from Calgary to Vancouver.
1: Yeah. You know, it's always been a constant. So even when I left Calgary, I was a pretty wild child. So I was running the streets, you know, feeling real, feeling fabulous, doing my thing, but also being welcome into the drag community because innately I'm an artist. So I've always been able to connect and put together looks and, and performance came, um, is, is a passion of mine. So I was welcomed to the stages and I, I, I did that. And, you know, part, a party girl. And so when it came to, to Vancouver, it was like I, I came with a friend of mine for the weekend and we ended up staying for like, three weeks and then we went back and they were like oh no this isn't our city anymore we've got to go to Vancouver
2: hmm.
1: so then we drove back to Vancouver and we stayed at some friends' houses on Servo. I remember my friend's friend and his roommate we just sort of you know how it was in the 90s yes <laughs> show up somewhere and you're staying there and their roommate doesn't really like the fact that you're there, but you're there anyway.
0: That was my exact situation. And it's like, I just, I mean, maybe kids still do that now, but I feel like with that, that seems like such a crazy different time that you would just crash on someone's couch and then end up living there for six exactly. months.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you get a hotel on Granville, all those hotels down there, like the Austin and St. Helens and all those places. is like a lot of the trans girls were living in there. Wow. So I ended up there because, of course, like I came, I didn't have a job, so I found the I found the corner, the the stroll mm. with girls down there, and I ended up down there to make to make money. And plus, I was a partier, so I mean, there was like all the all the stuff that goes along with that. And then I um, had some people I knew from Calgary. Justine had moved to Vancouver, so I was um, able to be welcomed into the shows there. So I would do shows regularly with Carlotta and. Um, you know, the different places at the Royal at um, honey and milk and um, the different kind of um, places that were all the after hours parties mm-hmm. and all the whole house of Venus was also, you know, throwing parties as well. And after hours and just all this stuff was everywhere. And I was popping everywhere I went, but I have to tell you this: i followed the beat of my own drum. So for yeah. me, I didn't get involved with a real group, but I was kind of in all the groups and I did what I did. And unfortunately I, I you know, I'm, I feel that I had a you know a sense of of, of style that was a showgirl um, sensibility so and I think it was like a, I was able to kind of do makeup and I ended up that became my career but I've I, I was able to do makeup pretty quickly so I could do that and mm-hmm. you know those and and you know I just continued on and um, for the long time it was just basically about going out looking. Looking, trying to look hot, trying to look like a girl, mm-hmm. and then I would put something sparkly on to go do some shows. But as soon as the shows was done, then of course
2: it would become um, work specific afterwards. Mm-hmm.
1: Sort of go do all that, but everything was just like I was a like a like a a wild child back in the day. Plus, there was I had a um, you know. Like drug and alcohol addiction at that time, that I I was kind of heavy into all of that. So mm. i like, um, in this past September, I celebrated 22 years clean and sober.
0: Congratulations!
1: Thank you. So it's been like, um, like we're going back a few years now, but I mean, eventually it got where it ended. The party ended. I was down on in um, downtown East, downtown East Side on Hastings. So I ended up down there, and I almost lost my life down there like a few times because I was like so out of it but I um a power greater than myself guided me um I really believe that I was carried towards um recovery and I went out to Surrey and went to recovery houses for a couple of years and I was able to get back on track and um but I had to kind of because I literally didn't even realize it at the time but I was living the life of a trans woman but I didn't identify as a trans woman I Mm. just identified like a drag queen as myself, because there really wasn't a huge. I mean, there was trans. It was like just the working girls. Like it was all that was the community. It was like there was um that sort of what I knew for trans identifying was with the with um in the sex work community.
0: And it wasn't necessarily um, like a formal transition in the way that you would like do it with the guidance of a doctor or through a medical program or through. I mean, a lot of it was really sort of self-navigated and self-directed. Right. Was, yeah. It's like my understanding. I mean, that isn't my experience, but I definitely knew girls that had that had been more in that realm and in that world.
1: Well, I mean, there's that. And then after I after I like cleaned up and then I went back into the world, I went back into the world male identifying. Mm. And, and I was like that for a while. And I just it was like that was kind of really strange and very hard. But in the same sense, it was what it was. I just was so sick and so like spiritually um um, completed. Yeah. that I just had to go into a place where I could be accepted by society.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and so I had to put everything on the back burner. I remember talking to you. It's like, I got, I got into work. I went to school, went to Blanche McDonald's. uh, two years sober, went to Blanche McDonald's. So that's 20 years ago now. I went to school there. did really well there. I actually was able to get hooked up with my, um, uh, indigenous roots and get some support for, for funding for school. Oh, amazing. So I went to school and, um, um then I, I started to get you know it was a few years started to get back into drag and i started doing shows again and like so you jubilee and um i like got coriander and naomi and you know all of them they were like you guys were doing your shows
0: yeah there was a whole little there was a whole drag house in the house of venus and and preston yeah. and i showed up in, in 1999 in vancouver and just kind of were like
2: oh,
1: yeah
0: here we are and
1: yeah it sobered up in 1998 and, um, then after that it was like, when I was coming back, you guys were doing your thing.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I still, I still remember, um, you were always like really this androgynous, like I think of like club kid from New York kind of thing. <laughs> I I always remember you being really like always like really, actually, really, I remember you being quite shy.
0: <laughs> Accurate.
1: Yeah, and a little (laughs) aloof. But when you came alive, it's like, but I think that was just guarded.
0: For sure. I mean, honestly, I relate so much to what you were saying when you talked about how being out at the club and being in, like, drag, right? Which is, like, it's sort of this awkward conversation for a lot of trans women, or it was. So even for, like, our generation, I think it's still something that's a little bit trickier to, like, unpack and to sort of like revisit. Whereas kids now are maybe less fixated on it, or if they're gender non-binary identifying, then they're just sort of like, yeah, whatever, if I want to be in full glam on the weekend, but not the rest of the week. Like there's just not necessarily delineation around like the terms. But I totally yeah. relate to everything you talked about. Um, there was just sort of this like divide where it was like I knew I felt better when I was like out in the world. I felt better about myself. I felt more like at home when I was out at the club or if I was wearing whatever, whatever it was I wanted to wear, if it was like something super glam or the super short skirt or whatever it was, but then it just, um, but it was so tied up in performance and also the nightclub world and also alcohol and just like, so it's like you, I really had to separate all that in order to transition really as my, as my sort of self, like with my sort of most clear mind.
1: Yeah. I, I really, uh... I really connect with that. And I remember the after hours. I remember going there and I remember the different rooms that have the different lights and stuff and feeling like super, like this is so like it was okay. I'm sorry, but the nightlife back in the day was a lot better than it is now.
0: 100%. It
1: so, because they didn't have the Instagram and there wasn't this instant fix. You had to go out and find it and create it. And the energy that you find in a really great posting or, or imagery and things, were, were that's what we saw. We saw, like, the people that would come together from all different backgrounds. Um, it would be the, the gay people, the straight people, the trans people, the, just everyone would be all these after hours. And yeah. you'd, like, hook up with everybody and it'd just be, like, really crazy wild. Wow. Creatively, as an artist, the collaboration... Of the different um, complexities of what our world is and in the arts. To do the shows, I always love doing like wiggle and coming together with the look and yeah. being at home and like, I don't know what I'm going to put together here, but I'll put something. Yeah. And I always checked look. But and then I remember going and through all of that. But then we got cast in Connie and Carla in 2003, I think it was. Yeah. Something like that. And then kind of me and you being there and like, Um, having a lot of
0: laughs. That was such a total bonding moment for me because we had seen each other around for so long and knew, you know, knew each other and stuff. And I always really respected you. I mean, I knew that you were totally involved with the court system. I really admired that. Um, I thought your drag was, was very sort of polished. Like you really knew what you were doing. And so when we were on the film, Connie and Carla together. And so for somebody listening, who's like, what the heck is this movie? Will you introduce the the film just so we can give some context?
1: (laughs) Connie and Carla was an Academy Award-winning. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it wasn't.
0: I was like, did it didn't win an Academy. Award, I don't. I have
1: to tell you, it was um, game-changing in our drag scene. Actually, I think for the drag community, because people still reference that as being, you know, part of their introduction to drag. This was a show that was directed by Michael Lembeck, and it starred, um, oh my goodness, uh, well Tony Collette, Neo Vardalis, and David Duchovny. Yeah. And um, also Alex Maba. Uh, Steven Spinella,
2: yes, from yeah.
1: America. Anyway, so this cast came and they filmed in Vancouver, and it was about these two women going undercover um, from the mafia or drug cartel or something. Yeah, and they actually um, they were like cabaret performers. Yeah. So in order to escape them, they would go in disguise, and they went into this. Um, they auditioned in this drag bar for the show, and they ended up getting the job. So they were hiding out in drag. As queens, with the drag community, and that's sort of the premise of the story. And it, it was, it really, was, it was kind of mind-boggling that we were cast as the background queens, but we were there for like two weeks.
0: Yeah, we were there for quite a long time. I think it was more than two weeks. I want to say it was like maybe three weeks. Um, and it was such a fascinating experience for me because I, we, Debbie Reynolds. <laughs> yes, and Debbie Reynolds, Debbie Reynolds had a cameo and spending time on set with Debbie Reynolds as she's doing her like little piano numbers seated atop the piano with her accompanist. And this nightclub set that you walked into that set, it, you would like, were sure you'd been to that club like they put so yeah. much into the art direction and the detail of the set that you actually felt like you were in this nightclub that you were like positive you'd been to and it was kind of smoky and hazy but it was built on like a tennis court or something in the middle yeah. of nowhere yeah. it was so it was such a fascinating experience and that was right when i was well i was transitioning at that point so that was it was tricky for me navigating that and we've spoken about this because people on the crew were sort of confused as to what I was doing there because we all the queens were in a separate holding area, dressing room, hair, makeup, everything. But honestly, I had so much fun doing that movie because I think a lot of the people knew what the deal was um that one hairstylist i don't know if you remember him he would do all these like incredible things with my hair it was like every single day was like and my hair was just long enough to be able to like have it styled to do like a french roll or to do all these different like sets i mean i guarantee he was like mm-hmm, i know what's up here and like come yeah. on over we're gonna just like have fun with your hair and but i loved being on set with all of the vancouver queens carlotta and yourself i mean we had a blast um it was kind of like being at drag queen summer camp. I mean, I was in heaven. So even though I was transitioning and as a trans woman, it was a bit like, I had so much fun.
1: Drag queen summer camp. It was totally that.
0: Yes. But we, you and I really bonded. We had a lot of incredible talks. We were on set for very, very long hours on doing that film. And we, we, we really bonded. I really just got to know you better. And I was so inspired by, by learning more about you at that time.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's like those little things that are, you know, part of the history too, because um, when people ask me because i speak on my my story quite a bit i i'm a public speaker as well so mm-hmm. i speak for the indigenous community and also in women's groups i um, i spoke at the women who inspire conference last year and also like a couple of basically uh, empowerment groups about people um, coming together to share the the diversity of our human experience wow. and i think that the dry community as, as as what i did then in 2003 and then Empress in 2006, and then um, a regular performer here on the stages, and then eventually, um, like I guess, just over five years ago, I started my own show called Legends, and that started mm. at, at um, the Odyssey. That when it was revamped, mm, when they yes. brought it when they brought it back in 2015. And um, so um, I have been um, hosting a cabaret show inspired by the history of drag in Vancouver because for over 40 plus years, there has been a drag review on Sundays that is uh, like uh, Las Vegas style, the beads, the feathers, uh, impersonations, all that kind of show, right? Yeah. So I started that and my drag has evolved over the years. It, It started off as just, you know, dressing up and then it worked into like, a real expression of self through music and through fashion and and pop culture. And then it went into um, becoming a real, I had to take a break from it because it it spiraled into a a pretty um, heavy um, drug and alcohol addiction. And then I I found um, recovery. And then I was able to get back into it. And it's people like yourself that helped me really connect because I watched you doing it, but I just didn't have the courage to kind of really do what it needed to do to to really face everything without alcohol and drugs and to be, um, um, authentic. I was afraid of myself. Mm-hmm. So I had to, I had to do a lot of work around that to, um, to, um, find my way to that. But I think that, and then with that, I started to do, um, more, um, drag performance to where it was separated from my identity. Cause yes. at first drag was my expression of who I was, but then it turned into being something that I do and separated from who I was. Yeah. Which which is where it's at right now. It's like I am um, I identify as a trans identifying human, and I am my pronouns are she and hers. However, I'm also two spirited, so I'm I'm in a journey right now to make sure that I'm honoring the masculine energy that is in my indigenous spirit. I'm I have to like realize that that is that is part of my story. Mm -hmm. Is that although I, I connect. More with my feminine spirit, and that's how I present myself. I still do realize that there is an aspect of my um, my gender assignment from when I was born, Mm -hmm. and I'm just kind of just making sure to not completely um, push that away because it's part of me. So I'm looking a way to honor it.
0: And, and can you speak a little bit about the concept of two-spirit? Because it is, a, as I understand it, and I've heard people like Jeff McNeil, who is an incredible speaker and educator from, from BC and stuff, like I've heard him speak a little bit about the concept of two-spirit identity, but can you speak about it from your perspective?
1: Well, from my perspective, it is it's in our bodies in that we have both masculine and feminine energies and for my when i when I look into the history from the indigenous communities from what I know because i did i wasn't raised um in my culture so mm. I was adopted so once I first came back into um a career community and I was introduced to the greater vancouver native culture society mm. and they were uh, a um a two spirit group in in Vancouver that were um um uh, basically their intent was they started a society for um queer people and two-spirit people coming from the reserves into the city, mm. um, just networking group of people for support because it can be a real culture shock. Mm-hmm. And so they, I actually reigned with them too. I was, I, they have a, uh, like they elect representatives as well. Mm. And I was part of that and they really um, taught me what it meant to be two-spirit. So at that point I identified as a, as a gay male at that time. Mm-hmm. And, but, Spirit was the indigenous um, term, which was, um, in, um, indigenous first nation, uh, history, uh, that particular to spirit, there, there's actually many, um, genders in the indigenous world. Hmm. And, um, but that was like, that was really revered because this is somebody that, um, when you think about, um, uh, when you have to provide for a family and you have to like, um, get the food from the land and you have to create, um, homes from, from the earth. Um, a two spirit person had the strength to be able to do the labor, but also had the, um, the, the, um, the softness and and the nurturing aspects to be able to, to, to feed and, and to offer, um, that sort of, um, like that sort of kind of love.
0: Yes. Uh
1: So, I mean, sort of that's how to describe it it's like it's it's like so that's why this is considered by elders to be somebody that was of real benefit to the communities, and it, it went away when when colonization came yeah. because then um people were um supposed to be what um what they were told to be then after that mm-hmm. but so i always look at that's how i choose to how i feel about the history of being two-spirit and i really identify with that
0: like it's a completely sort of distinct understanding separate from being like trans or being queer. And and I think that there's so much to sort of gain from it with respect and just um, continual sort of acknowledgement that like it's an Aboriginal concept and that there's something really special and really important about acknowledging that as well. Well, um,
1: I think like having a platform that we both have now, when I have an opportunity to speak, when I'm speaking about the trans experience, I want to make it very known that everybody's journey is is really, it's their own journey Yeah, and that people should feel like um, wherever you feel that that you identify and it makes you gives you and empowers you the most to be able to um, live an existence of joy and uh, of comfort and freedom then this is this is nobody else can tell you hmm. um, i i remember back when i was learning more about the trans community it's like i talked to some doctors and basically the information i got was that you had to kind of choose mm-hmm. that you were going to go all the way Otherwise and you and in order to get even onto hormone therapy, you had to f- jump through these hoops. Yes. And um I I find that to be like it's changed now, but there used to be a condition um called um gender dysphoria and people would be on disability for it. Yeah. Um so, I mean, it's come a long way, and I just think, and, uh, and go back to myself saying that if I have an opportunity to speak on this, I speak my story, but I also want to make it really be known that I have lived a few days, and I've seen a lot of experiences, and I have known a lot of my trans um, sisters and brothers that are no longer on this earth, because they and I feel it's a direct result because they didn't have the support that they needed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So I have to make it really, really clear that it's like, your journey is your own, and really connect with the people that that you feel comfortable with and gravitate towards people that that you respect and reach out and ask the questions, but realize that that you are perfect exactly the way you are. And I think some of the things, if you talk to somebody and and you're going to connect with somebody that will allow you to share the truth that's in your heart, uh, uh, maybe you don't know where you want to go yet. Maybe you just want to have some ideas of what are your options. What are some places that that, that you can safely go to to be able to get the support um, medically, um, so you're making sure for the long term that um, it's it, you know that you're protecting your health as well. Yeah, there's a little pause there because you know this is this is this is something, Jordan. I have to say this. I'm like I am here. I'm on this planet and I'm thriving in a pandemic. Yes, because. I realized the most important thing is the connection with my heart and the fact that no matter what I've been through or no matter what we're going to go through, we're going to be okay if we just stick to the basics and be really grateful for what we have right now and foster that gratitude because the universe will guide you and will give you the lessons and give you the support if you allow yourself to be available towards the lessons of our life.
0: And you've stayed really connected and very active. You've continued to be contributing online and stuff. Like I've seen a lot, like a lot of what you've been doing. And, and I think that that's also really incredible and really commendable.
1: Well, thank you. But I, th- I think that one thing that I've, I've really learned in my life is that, you know, um, I like contributing to community. And I think that, that has been a livelihood of my, of my journey has been the community and especially more than ever now, I felt that, you know, I, I I feel like I can like with my show, I have a segment, a talk show segment of it. Off with my guests and we talk about real stuff. The power of it. And for me, so when it stopped and there was uncertainty we didn't have the shows, so I was like, I made a commitment to be part of this community and to and to contribute to it. But also for myself, I I live by myself. If I just sit here and just sit by myself, it's uh it's not going to help me. No. Um, so I have to make sure that I reach out. So I started to reach out, and I, and I, I taught myself how to do my Instagram live. I didn't really – I was kind of nervous about that. I figured out how to do that, and then I just carried on that way. And I, I've done it every Sunday since, since my show ended. It started off where people would, I would give the performers that I would book, people would tip us and I would just split it with them. So it started with a little bit of like, bit of money for people. You know what I mean? Because there was nothing coming in. So um, I was, I felt actually really good that, it was, you know, sometimes it's like even that 20 to $40, people can, you know, go get some groceries. Started off like that. And then over a while, then the, the, the government funding started kicking in, and the people were able to kind of navigate their resources. And then it it twisted it uh, um, shifted for me in order to being a resource um, showcase. So I would do the show, but um, we would talk about different charities. So Black Lives Matter, there was um, we'd raise money for that, and then the DMS, we raise money for that um, Indigenous Day. For um, we would raise money for Indigenous support for legal for legal help. And also the, the different things, and I was like, I'll continue on with, with that. And then I feel like I'm showing up regardless if I can go outside, I can do something from here. And let's face it, it, it was also selfish because I need human connection yeah, to thrive. And so I just kind of did that. And that, like, you know, I, I was able to like connect with people like all over the United States and, you know, this way, just kind of kept being, doing different projects and I continue on this day, but also teaching myself to meditate and to do breathing exercises and take some time for myself. Definitely, it continues on, and now with shows, I just feel like uh, the most important thing that I, I need to work on, like I mentioned, is just to be get up today, because there's times that I have to, you know, this is the reality. I mean, everything isn't great all the time. It's not. Yeah. It's challenging, and, you know, the, the years of discrimination and, and the years of of feeling like that that, that shame and, and, you know, we've all experienced it. And I'll speak for myself, though, like uh, the amount of times that I was misgendered because of my identification and the time the hoops I had to go through to get that and to get my gender markers shifted, that took some time.
2: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
1: I had to go through a lot of real challenging moments, like being spit on on the street and all these things where it's like, okay, yeah, so I'm I'm noted as javing time on the stage and, and, um, and and given a, a you know a lot of love and respect, but when I walk down the street, you know sometimes it's, sometimes I, I, I sigh and say, "Oh my God, why do I have to be in this ex- existence? Why does this have to be so hard?" But then I but then I shift it and think this is an opportunity for me because I am living a life that is filled with richness, integrity, and it is like I am a strong person. And I should be very proud of of being who I am. And I also am holding, carrying the flame for a lot of our brothers and sisters who are not here now. So get over yourself, Jalene. Hold your head up high and realize you have done a great job with your journey here. And at the end of the day, your intent to bring light and to bring love to other people as your focus. That is a good thing. And you need to just continue on with that because that is the time you need to spend is, is thinking about...
0: The gratitude of that 100% it's so 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 valuable to to rehear it and i think part of what has been difficult about even just the last 6 months is that having to kind of be in our own little environments can contribute to some of that out and even going back to you know ways of thinking and operating that that seemed like really distant memories um that all of a sudden it was kind of like back to being in these sort of like sheltered environments but um but yeah there's so much sort of ahead of us still beyond the situation that we're currently in and you're such a like beacon and you truly always have been i mean know that and i know it's been very difficult at times but as long as i've ever known you i've just been um i've been inspired by by you and and just have seen even what you had come through just prior to us meeting which was the process of recovery and then navigating the nightlife world as somebody who's sober like it's just it's been a joy to get to see you over the last 20 years it really yeah it's well, been you a lot. Know
1: what? thank you for those kind words and right back to you um your experience on this earth has benefited my journey because you are somebody that actually is in my in my mind of of when i transition when i had the courage to transition it's because of people like you is watching you walk freely. In um, working at 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 Mac, which was the place as a makeup artist, that you know um, at the time was one of probably one of the first trans people that I knew working the beauty industry with such confidence. And then also um, you know feeling. And I remember you said this comment to me, and I was told me I need to get rid of my beard and also to um, which was and I said that to people too. I was like, okay, honey, let's let's first things first, let's do some things, and then and you also said you know what, I would never turn
0: back. I, and I still feel that way. You know, what's funny, you know, I think I remember thinking in my mind logically when I said that, because I feel like I can't believe I said that, was just that I knew it would make it easier, even if you were going to be oh, yeah, focusing yeah, yeah. on drag. I was sort of like, well, why not at least do that? Because really it just will make, you know, you'll, you won't even need to buy as much makeup because that's like less you know,
1: it, you know, work. To... at all. In fact, it was a comment that I think that as a, tra- a fellow trans person, if you knew I was, and it yeah. was like one of those things. It's like, okay, honey, we've got to do some things.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I remember it's, thinking it's, that. I remember just knowing what was, what you, I knew, I just thought you were so beautiful. And I was like, oh my goodness, you're going to just, you'll be fine. I was like, yes, girl. Like, here, you know, here we go.
1: Oh, I mean, it's like, I remember seeing that and then watching you kind of really take ownership of as a person, Jordan, To like to be for that party girl that was like, you know, super magical. Like your performance was like Gem in the Hologram. Like you were like... <sighs> you know you had that that spark and then when you went into like becoming a professional um like artist and doing what you did with that with such an an intellectual um finesse that you were fostering and then of course being an example of also and i have to say this too because in the trans community it's 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 hard to navigate and foster relationships with with partners and i was uh, watched you do that really like by protecting yourself and still really keeping your strength and keeping your cool and, and, and doing that. And then, you know, and then now you have like a, like a husband and, you know, a lot of trans people, we can't say that right back. When you say those kind words to me, I say them right back to you. And I think that Jordan, it's like, um, I take the opportunity and I encourage others to do the same. It's like the reality is it takes under a minute to lift somebody up. Yeah. with an experience that you know about them that, that has changed who you are. Yeah. And we have to share those stories with people. It's even when it's seeing somebody you don't know them very well, but you've seen them around. And you know you know what? Thank you so much for showing up and telling your truth. Because by you walking freely on the streets and holding your head up high, even when it was hard, you don't understand who you're helping. People are seeing you. Yeah. And people are are thinking it's possible.
0: Um I want to do a little segue. I want to talk about the piece that you have lent that is displayed mm-hmm. as part of this gallery show.
1: It looks so great now um the piece that that i um I sent you was one that it's actually great because it's it hits a few points of my drag career um it started it was before i was I ran for Empress. I needed to get some gowns mm. and there's a queen here by the name of beverly x she um was selling some clothing because she, she was going to run for Empress and it, she, it just didn't work out for her. Mm. So um, she had a bunch of stuff and it and it actually, like, fit me. So I got a bunch of things from her and literally that was one of them. And I was like, that particular dress, I had it, like, um, altered to fit my body. Yeah. And I did it for... Um, and it's actually... It fit on me in different weights. Like, she did it in my sizes. And so... From there's a video of me from in at the Wise Hall mm. doing that. Um, I think I showed you that link and wearing the dress with big blonde hair. But I wore it when I was Empress, and I felt super regal wearing that dress. I also wore it in 2008 when I ran for La Femme Magnifique International, representing Canada, and um, I got fourth. And I was wearing that in um, in uh, with this beautiful caramel updo. Mm. and what else and I also and I've worn it through in my show I also wore it at the step down of my Greater Vancouver Native Cultural Society when I stepped down as princess Mm. so I've worn it for like um, different periods of my drag Um, but it's always brought a presence of that dress in the lights it looks like it's beaded over nude like it's like like it's so gorgeous on
0: stage. I mean, it's really stunning in the gallery space because of how it's lit. It's lit very deliberately to make sure that it's optimally light reflective. And when I saw that piece in the lineup next to the dress from Candace Kane and next to the outfit of mine, and it's just, it, it's so timeless. Like it could be from the sixties or it could be from like, it could be from any decade, but it's, um, it's just, there's something so profoundly special about it. Um, I, I'm just, I'm so grateful to you for providing a piece and for sharing your story, which will be tied into the, the exhibition. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm, just, I'm so honored to have your presence there, even though you can't physically be there in Montreal.
1: That, that gown as well, it represents, because part of my my aesthetic as a performer is like old Hollywood. So mm. it's, it's of that. Yeah. It's definitely, I love um, like really rich textures and fashion. And I love beading. Yeah. I love lace. I also love chiffon, so I like stuff that flows yeah. as well. So to me, that is really whimsical and really uh, really timeless. And you, you think about it like my Jalen time, but timeless. And I think that anything that is just of quality is, is meant to be respected yes. and it's meant to be taken care of. And I think that that is something that that dress came from. Maybe somebody's spirits were really down because they had they had dreamed of doing something with that. And, it, you know, I, I always I always thought that this meant something to this person. I always want to make sure that when I'm wearing this, that I'm, 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 I'm presenting. Like, I still have my drag from when I was, before I was Empress. Like, I take care of, I've got a dress from Sandy St. Peter's. I've got a dress from Charity, who's wow. our first Empress, from Justine Time. I've got clothing from uh, Diana Rose. I've
2: got like
1: clothing from our history, and yeah. I, I value it. I treasure
0: it. Well, that's really was a was a huge kind of inspiration for me too. In showing these like showing dresses and showing pieces as part of this exhibition is because it gives it a sort of three dimensional like a, a three dimensional understanding of the the sort of drag world as it relates to the process of transitioning and seeing some of that overlap and also there's so much history tied into it a huge thank you i'm so appreciative to you for sharing your story and providing an outfit and
1: yeah well of course i love this and um i like sharing a story i think our stories are really um sacred yeah and i think it's great and i wish you all the success with this and i'm just so honored to be included
0: thank you jaylene Thank you so much for listening to Jaylene's incredible story that she shared so generously with me. I really have to express gratitude for her openness, and it was really such a pleasure to speak with her. This episode has been part of the mini-series that I mentioned last month, uh, and it's a component of the exhibition I've curated that's currently on display uh, online uh, and can be toured virtually on Never Apart's website. exhibition is titled bijou and it celebrates the creativity and self-expression of trans femme performance in nightclubs cabarets and drag venues looking at some very unique archival material that's in my personal collection uh, and it's contrasted with some more contemporary media Um, so i really hope that you'll check it out on never apart's website A huge thank you, as always, to the team at Never Apart for supporting production of this podcast. You can visit NeverApart.com for all the latest updates on uh, open houses, which currently, as of this month, November 2020, are not able to happen due to government restrictions in Montreal. But check NeverApart.com to see if there's any changes on that status, uh, as well as NeverApart.com mtl on all the social channels and you can find me on instagram jordan king archive thanks so much for listening